0: Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner, and I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now, and it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome in this episode of Tech Intersect. I'm going to do a ping the prof where I won't have a regularly scheduled guest. I want to share some of the things that I've been working on recently. I have a lot of really exciting things and events coming up, and I want to make sure that you are aware of all of them. And then in this episode, I'm going to share with you some of the remarks that I gave at a recent hearing in Pennsylvania. State Representative Napoleon Nelson hosted a House Democratic Policy Committee hearing to discuss blockchain and cryptocurrency and preparing Pennsylvania for a digital future. In fact, Representative Nelson is introducing a bill that, if enacted, it would allow the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to work with, in a public-private partnership, blockchain and crypto startups so that we could create basically a sandbox regulatory environment that would waive certain restrictions and actually encourage innovation in a safe regulatory environment, safer for startups and for companies that need some regulatory certainty. Certainly great for the Commonwealth in terms of bringing exciting and innovative businesses to Pennsylvania, and also great for consumers, because the whole point of regulation is to find the right balance between encouraging innovation, but also protecting investors and consumers. So I'm really excited about the work that State Rep. Nelson is doing, and certainly Chairman Bizarro of the House Democratic Policy Committee. So I'll say more about that in a moment. So about a couple of events that are coming up, virtual events, I want to invite you next Tuesday, depending upon obviously when you are listening to this. So Tuesday, August 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time. That's August 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time to join me for another From Cash to Crypto Masterclass. It's free and I'm really excited to talk about all of the latest updates. We'll talk about Bitcoin and what is happening there as it starts to move in an upward direction. We'll talk a bit about decentralized finance and why it's empowering and and what DeFi is. We'll talk a little bit about non-fungible tokens and what's going on in the creative space as well. And then I'll take a few questions. Go to my website, advantageevans.com and sign up for that webinar. I'm also hosting a three-day intimate cohort-based workshop three days from August 13th through the 15th, you'll connect with me. We'll take a deeper dive into many of the topics that you hear about on the podcast and to work one-on-one with me in a small and energetic and highly motivated group of people who really want to prepare for the future of work and wealth today. So the name of this workshop is Decode the Future of Money Fine Print. It's a virtual three-day intimate workshop, as I've mentioned. If you're ready to get a handle on the complex crypto law landscape so that you can buy and protect and leverage your crypto assets safely, legally, and confidently, definitely join the wait list because I'm only taking a small group of people. It is $299, three days with me. And I will absolutely leave you better than I found you. And you'll really be ready to fully and confidently participate in the future of work and of wealth. Go to AdvantageEvans.com and look for the courses that are being offered this summer. And I'd love to have you join the wait list and we'll be in touch. All right. Now for the information that I want to share with you today. When I was testifying, I was preparing to give remarks for about 15 minutes. When I was introduced, they actually said 10 removing five minutes worth of remarks when you've practiced is not the easiest thing to do. And I was first up, so there was no time for editing. There was editing with my eyes. And so I want to share my full remarks with you because I think it's really important to understand the importance of the future of money and the future of wealth and what that means in an inclusive environment. So according to Statista, 33% of global organizations say that their companies are working to create a digital currency using blockchain technology. Legacy financial institutions have seized the early mover opportunity among their peers to innovate in delivering products and services for the digital future by leveraging blockchain technology or offering direct or indirect exposure to crypto to their customers. Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, Deutsche Bank, Morgan Stanley, and even longtime Bitcoin skeptic JP Morgan, they have all recognized the value proposition of crypto and blockchain and have started to position themselves for a decided advantage in this new distributed value frontier. Without sufficient investment, education, resources, and support, small businesses, especially minority and women-owned businesses, will likely be eclipsed by large enterprises looking to stake their proverbial flags in this new world of fintech advancement. But governments are uniquely positioned to ensure the economic viability of small and mid-sized enterprises, which have historically been the backbone and, and lifeblood of societal advancement. Public-private partnerships transform adversarial relationships into cooperative economic opportunities in a way that optimizes competitive innovation while mitigating potential harm to consumers, investors, and businesses. Case in point, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Florida, and West Virginia have all proactively seized the opportunity to pass legislation that welcomes blockchain innovators to their jurisdictions to test leading edge product and service development and deployment within the confines of a safe regulatory framework. Other states have introduced similar legislation, and this includes Illinois, South Carolina, Texas, Connecticut, Louisiana, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. Now I focus on technology in the next part of my remarks because it was important to level set to ensure that we're all operating with the same understanding, basic level understanding of the technology. So I define blockchain technology more specifically in my written testimony, and you can link to that in the show notes. So I will highlight a few key characteristics and core considerations about the technology. Now, blockchains are digital databases created by software and maintained by a network of computers rather than by a single entity or group. Blockchains rely on network effects and economic incentives to secure the network from fraud or failure. The incentives differ depending on the rules that make up the blockchain's software protocol. These databases are also sometimes referred to as digital ledgers, and crypto assets like Bitcoin rely on blockchain's distributed ledger technology to maintain a record of transactions and balances. The first blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, was first described in a 2008 white paper and subsequently launched in January 2009 by a person or group using the alias Satoshi Nakamoto the actual identity is shrouded in secrecy even to this day. Satoshi invented and implemented Bitcoin to empower individuals to control their own money while protecting their privacy and thereby to reduce control by governments and powerful private corporations that act sometimes in monopolistic and anti-competitive ways. Satoshi's goal was to eliminate the need for a middle person or centralized authority to complete and settle financial transactions, and to solve the double spend problem for digital currency resulting from fraud or counterfeiting. Satoshi accomplished this by creating a censorship-resistant, verifiable, shared ledger system of purely digital currency that could be exchanged directly in a peer-to-peer manner without the need to pay or to rely on mainstream banking intermediaries that have, over the years, violated public trust and confidence. Blockchains maintain a single source of the true state of the transactions and balances at any given time, like a shared Excel spreadsheet or a group text message string. Blockchains are highly resistant to change, and blockchain combines in a novel way three existing technologies the internet, peer-to-peer networks, and public-private key encryption with digital signatures. And all of that comes together to create a totally new data structure and a new way of storing information on a computer and synchronizing encrypted data across multiple computers. Blockchains are app-end only. What does that mean? Although new information can be added, once it is entered, the data cannot be deleted or reversed. A resulting concern from this, of course, is the immutable characteristic that is this app-end-only nature. That makes stored transactional data impossible to change. Blockchains are also pseudonymous, not anonymous, contrary to common belief. They're pseudonymous, which raises concerns, of course, of possible proliferation of illegal activity, money laundering, terrorist activity, ransomware, drug sales, trafficking in goods, or humans, for example. I will note, however, that concerns of the illegal use of cryptocurrencies is vastly, vastly overstated. In fact, according to an excerpt from a 2021 chain analysis report in 2019, criminal activity represented just 2.1% of all cryptocurrency transaction volume. And in 2020, the criminal share of all cryptocurrency activity fell to just 0.34%. The most used currency in illicit and nefarious activity is the almighty dollar, USD. Blockchains are also disintermediated and transnational. What does that mean? So blockchains don't rely on any centralized intermediary for transactions to occur, nor private or public entity controls, and therefore public blockchains are censorship-resistant. However, this raises concerns that the absence of a central point of accountability and lack of any geographical boundaries can render blockchains extremely difficult to govern. Finally, the transparent and traceable nature raises concerns about user privacy because public permissionless blockchains are not, again, anonymous, although Privacy coins like Monero or Zcash and coin mixing technology are sometimes used to heighten encryption in order to mask addresses. So what's the goal of all this? Now, I focus a lot on the future of financial inclusion. And to better understand blockchain as the web 3.0 internet of value, it may be helpful to consider how the internet developed over time. Now, Web 1.0 was fully centralized. It involved the original client-server data delivery model of the information age, and that is one central database making information available to users who interacted with that server-disseminated information passively. Web 2.0, or the decentralized interactive social web, Involves numerous client-server models, and in Web 2.0, users are both the recipients of information, but also the users of creative content, and in many instances, also creators or publishers themselves. However, the data is still largely siloed by powerful, hyper-competitive entities. And by contrast, the distributed web, at least in its idealized configuration, would have few, if any, centralized intermediaries. A Web 3.0 world envisions the consumer not just as end user, but as producer and owner with full agency and autonomy, who controls the flow of their data and most essentially of the value attached. Additionally, Web 3.0 has the potential to be the decentralized and democratized internet. And that was what was originally promised when Web 2.0 emerged. An optimally functioning blockchain gives access to all and is fully transparent in order to mitigate or in some cases even eliminate the asymmetry of information that plagues the current opaque privileged financial system. We are at an inflection point in the development of Web 3.0's blockchain infrastructure. In the 12 years since the first blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain was created, dramatic, substantial and undeniable inroads have been made to move blockchain technology cryptocurrencies, and decentralized finance into mainstream view. Given the still relatively early-stage development of the blockchain infrastructure, it is imperative that private and public entities work together to explore and to enhance those aspects of the blockchain that empower, include, and uplift all communities. A critical and unique opportunity exists to achieve these aspirations one that hasn't existed since the dot-com era that created enormous Silicon Valley wealth for generations of the privileged few, but left far too many others behind. So what does financial inclusion mean in the digital future for historically excluded communities? Well, the future of financial inclusion is inextricably linked to meaningful access to opportunities in the digital future built on the rails of blockchain. And a final word about potential and actual uses of blockchain technology beyond cryptocurrencies. There's a wealth of possible use cases, some with obvious applications, like to store public records that everyone can access and no one can change or destroy, for land records, for example. In fact, blockchain technology will impact and improve dozens of industries and sectors beyond banking and payments by making systems operate in a more efficient effective and accessible manner, including supply chain management, insurance, philanthropy, provenance, identity, educational credentialing, government, intellectual property, certainly healthcare, and energy, just to name a few. I discuss those use cases more fully in my written testimony as well. Again, take a look at the show notes for a link. So in conclusion, blockchain has been touted as a disruptive revolution. And while it hasn't upended Web 2.0 as we know it, it is revolutionary. Blockchain is not a single technological solution, and that is a core part of its brilliance. But the future of Web 3.0 has yet to be written. And only time will tell whether blockchain technology will replace the current system of data structures and whether blockchain's impact will be revolutionary or merely evolutionary. But regardless of the outcome, Pennsylvania has a real opportunity to discover ways to embrace innovation as the story and the code are being written. Positioning the Commonwealth and its residents and corporate citizens to be fully prepared for the digital future may yield significant economic, cultural, social, and societal benefits. Education, access, transparency, and inclusion are key. Pennsylvania's digital future is now. So again, I commend the representatives in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania who are working on these really important and complex issues. Education is key, not just for consumers, not just for startups, but certainly for representatives in government. And let's all continue to stay connected, continue to learn, continue to grow and continue to work for the future of work and wealth because, as I said, the future is now. I look forward to seeing you at an upcoming masterclass or a full course. I have a full range of courses and classes, something for everyone. Please visit AdvantageEvans.com and definitely connect with me on the interweb. You know my second home is Twitter. Follow me at IPProfEvans and also at advantageevans. And I look forward to seeing you. So until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media. On Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.